TheOAMNetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of The Permanent Record. Welcome Facebook Live. I'm Josh Spickler. I'm the Executive Director of Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. The Permanent Record is a podcast about the criminal justice system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. I'm joined today by former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean. He was the mayor in Nashville from 2007 to 2015. Before that, he was Nashville's elected public defender, and he also served under Mayor Bill Purcell as the city's law director. Uh, Mayor Dean, originally, you come from South Dakota, uh, but uh, you've made Nashville your home after Vanderbilt Law School. Uh, You're now ticking off each of Tennessee's 95 counties in your bid to become the next governor of Tennessee. Uh, You're here in Shelby County with us to talk about criminal justice. Welcome, Mayor Dean. It's great to have you. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Um, And since this is a podcast about criminal justice, I'm going to kick it right off and, and talk about your time as Nashville's public defender. Is it something that you... Uh, set out to do as soon as you graduated law school? Did it, uh, did it sneak up on you like it did me? Uh, tell us about that. I would say it snuck up on me. When I was in law school, um, I think uh, it never occurred to me that I wanted to be a public defender. And when I got out of law school, um, I got very interested in litigation. And when I decided to um, live in Nashville, um, I wanted to do litigation and I wanted to be in the courtroom a lot. And so uh, Applying to the public defender's office was um, the best course of action, I thought. And fortunately, Jim Weatherly, who was then the public defender, um, had an opening and uh, hired me. And so I started there in 1983, and I worked um, in the public defender's office up until I resigning to become law director in '99. So I, you know, I worked there for uh, you know longer than most, and I found it incredibly rewarding. Um, one thing I would say, I think that uh, one mistake I made in law school, and it was really all, all my mistake, is that I probably should have um, exposed myself to um, whether it's prosecution work or pub- public defense work um, through clinics uh, when I was in law school, and that would have helped me immeasurably. So that, that's my advice to law students is, is you know, whether you want to end up doing it or not, you know, do uh, work for a law clinic, do uh, uh, some sort of uh, community service, work for the DA, work for the public defender, and you'll know what you're right. interested in. I completely agree, and I give that advice myself. And uh, when I look at the experiential learning programs that places like Vanderbilt and places like the University of Memphis have now compared to when I was in law school, right. it's, it's amazing the amount of experience uh, you can get. So uh, that's that's great advice. Just out of curiosity, you started in 83 in the National Public Defender's Office. About how many lawyers uh, were working there then versus when you left in 1999? Oh, I think my, I'm, I, I, I'm guessing at these numbers, but I assume in 83, it was probably somewhere around 15, maybe a couple less. Wow. And I think when I left in 99, we were, you know, pushing 40, maybe right, right. somewhere in the thirties. I think now maybe in the sixties uh, yeah. today, these days. So what about that experience? How did it uh, change your perceptions of the criminal justice system doing that work? And then you know, going on to become a, ma- a mayor, you, you dealt with things like education and public housing and just the, the, the problems that poverty uh, can bring to your city. How did the experience representing uh, people in that office change? Well, your- let me say one thing about, you know, the thing that to me was the most, re- one of the most rewarding things about working in the public defender's office. You know, I think I came into it and, when, and certainly when I was in law school, I sort of had this bias that um, if you're doing public work, it's not going to be as interesting or you're not necessarily going to be um, 
doing the best work. And I was so wrong. Um, you know, Jim Weatherly, as I mentioned, was the public defender um, who hired me. And Jim is still practicing in Nashville. And I still believe uh, he is the best trial attorney I've ever seen. Um, and so I immediately did some cases with Jim when I first started. And I was learning so much from just being around really high-quality lawyers like him. And to me, it, it was tremendously rewarding. And the, more, the harder you work, the more you put into it, um, I think the more you, the more you sort of advanced as, as a litigator. Um, it was an eye-opener in the sense um, also that you begin to see issues that you wouldn't be exposed to if you were working in a law firm. I mean, certainly the issues of poverty that exist. Um, the issues of um, folks who um, appear to have no direction or hope in their life, um, it, it, it is a valuable lesson uh, to learn. And probably the thing that, that probably had the most influence on me in terms of being mayor and uh, other elective office was um, my sense of the importance of education. You know, we did what's called the jail docket where we would represent essentially everybody in jail who had been arrested in the last couple of days and you would interview them obviously before you went into court. And one of the fundamental questions you always wanted to understand is how far they go in school. And, you know, 95 percent of the clients or whatever number, but a very high percentage had not completed high school. And then the, the juveniles I represented, you know, may, many, if not the vast majority, had dropped out of school. And so I'm not saying that necessarily there's always that correlation there between being involved in criminal activity or being subject to the criminal justice system and, and, and lack of education, but it certainly is present. And to me, if, uh, if we have kids in school, kids who are, uh, you know, learning and, and learning to become productive uh, Adults, um, that is probably the best thing we can do um, for for these for these folks. Right, and that's reflected, I think, in your in your record as mayor, uh, your attention to the public uh, public school system in Nashville, and particularly funding and teacher pay and things like that. I want to talk about that in a second, but I want to uh, jump off for a second on something you said about the work being really, really riveting, really, really challenging in the public defender's office. And I, I think that uh, is a really interesting uh, uh, question to ask about engaging. Young people engaging smart, talented, hardworking people in the work of government because so often you do hear, well, I don't want to work in the public sector. That's boring. And and Nashville has excelled in that. And with your administration, with the current administration in Nashville, lots of young talent. How is that something that you're paying attention to all the time? Does it just happen? Uh, talk a little bit about no, engaging I don't think it, people. I don't think it just happens. I think, um, you know, one of the things I found when I was the elected public defender and running the office from 90 to 99 was there are really bright, talented lawyers or law school graduates who want to be public defenders, who want to do criminal defense work or want to be district attorneys that are out there looking for jobs. And of course, unlike the private sector, you know, where law firms, when economic times are good, may be growing by 5, 10, 15 lawyers a year, most agencies like the public defender's office and DA's office grow much slower. And there's really no dependability that in a given year you're going to be able to grow at all because you're just so – you rely on the budget process. But there are folks, um, lawyers that we hired who came from great law schools, had huge sense of commitment, huge talent, um, who would take, would move to Nashville to work in, in the public defender's office and knowing as they moved to Nashville that there might not be a job there, 
or they might take a long time for that job to appear. And so I think we, we were really able to attract some, some, some great lawyers and, and so many people who are DAs and public defenders I think really have a passion for what they do. It's what they want to do. It's the only thing they want to right. do and they're going to do it. Right. Well, you know, you're, you were an elected uh, public defender. Shelby County is the only public defender in the state that's not. Uh, and I think that um, it presents some challenges when you're running for office and you're running for a job and, and to run a law firm whose job it is to represent people who are charged with crimes, many of whom committed those crimes. So politically speaking, you have to you have to make some interesting and but compelling arguments to the electorate. And, and how, how have you how, do, how are you able to do that? What are those challenges like? Well, I, you know, I have to let you in on a secret. I mean, I was elected three times as public defender because we have four year term in Nashville. And the the key to my initial political success was I never had a component. Uh, and, uh, but each that time, is. each time I ran, though we did we did run and we because talked no about the, the job. <laughs> well, I think, but you know, I, I what I got from that experience was that the campaign when I was unopposed was a great opportunity for sort of community education about what we do and to encourage right. people to to be interested in criminal justice issues, but. Um, but there's there are people who are interested. Naturally, the lawyers in the community want a quality office. They care about that. Um, there are constitu- constituencies such as churches and others who and, uh, and community leaders who care that the office is good. And so, I never felt politically that it you know I, I was exposed because I was doing a job that um, people might not understand why you do it. Um, I felt that you know the challenge was to do it effectively and do it um, in a way that uh, was good for the city. Right, right. That's a that's a great answer. Uh, there are skeptics though about just the idea that uh, people without means should get lawyers, and in particular, I, I know you did fight some battles in the legislature when it comes to funding, because in in Nashville, like in, in Memphis and Shelby County, some of the funding for public defender offices comes from uh, comes from the legislature. So, what do you say to those skeptics? How are you able to present the the value of public defense? Well, I think you have to, and I think most people get it. I mean, most people, regardless of political party, I think believe in fairness and they understand that for the American justice system to work, that you've got to have a fair trial. And a fair trial involves the defendant having an attorney, somebody who will serve as their advocate. And I think that is um, a pretty strong foundation now, sometimes you could get folks who will say on this particular case, how can you do this? How could you do that? But, you know, you go back to the very notion that our Constitution and our Supreme Court has said that everybody who is accused of a crime, a jailable offense, um, is entitled to an attorney. And it's really not optional. You, you have to provide that lawyer. And, and, I, and my argument would be that a public defender's office – um, is able to do that in a cost-efficient way, and they're able to do it in a way there that you know you can get quality because people become experts in in, the, in that in that area. And then it just goes back to this idea of fairness that if if the criminal justice system is going to work, um, you know all parts of it have to work. And if and if that one you know if it's like a stool, if if one leg is is the defense leg isn't there, the tool's going to the stool's going to topple over. And so that's how I I would present it. As, I don't want to get too wonky, but uh, I, I think your point about efficiencies in, in public defender offices, offices dedicated to do criminal defense is, is a very important one. Um, 
and we have 31 district public defenders in Tennessee. Do you have thoughts on a more more efficient way of, of running a statewide system like that? Because it can become balkanized. It is an elected position, and often there's not a lot of interest as there even wasn't in Nashville. Or have you explored that much, and, and do you have thoughts no, on that? No, I, I mean, I think you know you do have the, the state system that was set up um, really, at, I guess, at the end of the 80s, early 90s, and you had the the Nashville Public Defender's Office, which goes back to really Gideon versus Wainwright in the early 60s, and then the Memphis system, which goes back even further. That's right, 1917, third right. oldest in the country. And I, and I think that, um, and I would obviously defer or at least not have a strong opinion without hearing from what the local governments in Memphis and Davidson County prefer, and I and and, and I think they have liked having their own their own system so far. That it's been a good thing. And you've had local support um, in both cities um, and that have made the, those offices stronger, I believe. Yeah, so let's get away from public defense. <laughs> this, we could talk about it all day, yeah. but I think it's, it's not as interesting maybe to everyone else as it is you and I. What, what about uh, criminal justice in Tennessee? So you're running for governor. So right. Tennessee is a state um, that uh, could use some criminal justice reform. What other areas uh, would you focus on as governor? Did you focus on uh, in Nashville in particular? I know driver's licenses are a big problem. Bail is an issue that a lot of folks in this state are working on. Right. What are your thoughts and, and plans for that? Well, I think I think most of the things that occur in the criminal justice system, and I would go back to the experience of having been in the public defender's office and maybe as the public defender when we went through um, sort of an entire revision of our criminal code in the late 80s when we had the sentencing commission. And one of the lessons that I took from observing that, I mean, that was entirely a state legislative process, is that when it comes to criminal justice, I think most of those issues really succeed or you get um, positive uh, results when there's a sort of a bipartisan approach that people sit down and go through it in a very thoughtful, organized way, look at the ramifications, because there's ramifications that you really don't see immediately if you just make quick decisions. Exactly. Um, and I think that's, that's how you do it. I mean, I mean, clearly I think there's, you know, we need to do, be always concerned about the bond issue. There are some interesting things that I know you're involved with here in, in Memphis and in Nashville. Um, and I'm going to be very, watching that very carefully to see how, how that goes. Um, I think, you know, we need to, have a system where people um, have an ability at some point to get their driver's license back if they lost it or, or they don't lose it permanently because they can't pay costs or, or fines that something be worked out there. I mean, those are things that, that are sort of on my mind. But again, those, but those criminal justice is a sensitive enough issue and immediately can become very divisive that I think approaching those issues in a way where there's a lot of study and a lot of work to have it done in a in sort of a nonpartisan way is the best way to do it. Of course, of course. And so, um, well, just I have obviously a point of view on this, and I, I want to talk about maybe specifically, you know, what has happened in Tennessee over the last um, few years, and, and maybe get your thoughts on on why it's like it is, and, and what we should do differently. The Vera Institute um, a few weeks ago released a report about uh, prison population growth and prison mm-hmm. spending growth, and it found a. Uh, surveyed about 40 states, and Tennessee was very, very near the bottom. Our prison population grew uh, 10% between 2011 and 2015, and, and our Department of Correction budget grew 7% over that same period. And this is uh, at a time when many states, including a lot of our neighbors like South Carolina, states close to us like Florida, 
had drastic reductions in both spending and populations, and they saw crime reductions just like we have. So why hasn't Tennessee pursued comprehensive reform like you described? We have a supermajority in the legislature. Uh, we've had a Republican in the governor for quite some t- a Republican governor for quite some time as well. What do you think has kept us from realizing yeah. those savings and shrinking our prison population? Well, you know, actually, most of my time uh, as as law director and as public defender, really one of the overriding issues in Nashville during the 80s and 90s and into this century was jail overcrowding. And during that time period, the state was under orders about its prison population, federal court lawsuits. The city had um, you know, issues that it had to resolve regarding overcrowding. And we're at a position now in the city where um, the overcrowding problem has been handled. I mean, there were lots of investments, I think, by the city and by the state in prison construction and other things in the 80s and 90s. Um, I think there are lots of issues in, you know, in criminal justice that um, just haven't risen to the top. And my sense is right now, on both a national level and I think you're seeing it on a state level too, that there is some discussion um, from both parties that we need to look at some of these issues, um, whether it's looking for cost savings or whether it's looking at, at the issue of how prison time can be used for more rehabilitation and stop sort of the revolving door of people coming back. And that's also a cost issue um, that those issues are, I think, picking up a little, little steam. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that the, the conversations are being had in Tennessee. Unfortunately, we just um, – we, uh, we haven't seen much, um, much progress. So I, I, I want to get a promise from future Governor Dean that that, that, that will become a part of, uh, of your, your legacy that, uh, and, and ask you, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on that because I think it's important because I think we have a healthy percentage of Tennesseans who go into that system and never come out, whether it be – because they never have a driver's license again, whether it be because uh, they have to apply for every job in their future with by checking yes to a conviction. Right. And so uh, do you recognize that importance and, and, and how big of a deal com- as compared to education? And I recognize it's not the sole issue, but I, I just want to hear you talk about. Right. That I, I certainly recognize the importance of the issue um, regarding criminal records. And again, this is where I'd say y- you need to have thorough studies by the legislature, because ultimately they're going to be the ones voting on this, where there is an understanding of what everyone can agree on how that issue can be addressed. And I think there's a growing sense that people want to address that issue. They don't want to keep people in um, a cycle of poverty and a cycle of, of being unable to get a job. I think that it is important that we um, look at at, at issues such as driver's license and costs and fees that keep people um, unable to get a driver's license. And then, of course, people end up driving again because of whatever reason, and it, and it becomes a vicious cycle. Um, obviously, again, because there's revenue, there's a, a broken law involved, there has to be a consensus of how that can be handled. But that is a genuine problem right. that the legislature and you know the governor's office could be involved, should study and come up with a recommendation for, I think, for the entire state. Right. I agree. I agree. Something you said earlier about uh, jail overcrowding, and I know Nashville um, utilizes some private uh, prison uh-huh. uh, companies to, uh, to run some of its detention facilities. I'm not familiar with the landscape completely. I know that in Shelby County, we do not. Tell us what Nashville does and how you balance the, uh, the pitfalls of, of private prison companies 
with the need for uh, a well-run jail? Well, the decision to um, to have a private prison company involved in managing facilities, some of the facilities in Nashville, was made long before I was mayor, um, and it has it has worked. I'm, I don't know that I'd be in favor of seeing that expanding. I I, I think um, I I think our sheriff, um, who we were talking about earlier, I think Darren Hall has been a very progressive sheriff, and he looks for ways in which he can provide treatment, rehabilitation uh, possibilities to folks while they're in in jail, which I think is a good thing. Um, I, I'm encouraged by his willingness to work with uh, organizations such as Dismas, work with nonprofits, the faith community to find uh, uh, a place for people to be when they get released. I mean, I don't think our responsibility ends when we release somebody. I mean, really at that point is when you want that person to get back on their feet, to be able to find a job, to become a productive citizen and not go back. And so nonprofits such as Dismas, Reconciliation, and others have done really great work. Um, and, you know, we should use that time when someone is incarcerated and, and if they have a sentence where you know they're going to be released and if part of their issue is drug-related uh, or whatever, uh, we should have programs that help address that so you don't start out exactly where you were when you came in. Of course. Uh, so I had in my notes here to, to add, talk about what I call the cocktail party question. When people find out you're a public defender, they say, how do you represent people like that or whatever they say? And we talked about it. I think you gave a really good answer about the three-legged stool and just the balance that's needed in the system. And, and you also talked about the rewarding nature of the work. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and, and ask you if you have a favorite story of a client or a case that you were involved in as a public defender. I know I do, and you have plenty to choose from, but that – Tell us well, I got, well, probably the, my favorite recently is when I first got elected mayor, um, I was driving to work and um, I took my car to get the oil changed or something. And then I decided to walk the mile or so it was from there to, to the office. And I was walking down the street and um, somebody said, uh, Mayor Dean, Mayor Dean. And I, I didn't know who it was. And so I kind of kept walking and he said, Mayor Dean, let me talk to you. So I stopped and we talked. It turned out he was a former client and nothing – it wasn't real serious, but I mean it was serious enough. But um, – so I asked him how, how I did for him and how he was. And, you know, he had a good job. He was married. He had kids. Yeah. He hadn't been in trouble. And, um, and he remembered me uh, from being his lawyer. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, so I'm thinking here, you know, a mayor, I don't know how the day is going to go. I don't know how my time as mayor is going to go. But, you know, I helped this guy. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's kind of what it's, what it's all about, you know. And, and, you know, there are a lot of serious cases. There are a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of sadness in the criminal justice system. And you see, and there are horrible things that have happened. But, you know, there are lots of cases that you handle as a public defender where the person needs help, where they need to they either get the treatment that they need, they get, need the mental health referrals, they need somebody to figure out what's wrong. And when you can do that kind of work where somebody is uh, preventing, preventing them from serving essentially a, a life sentence every other week going in for 10 days and then going in again right. and getting them the help they need, that, that's really gratifying. Right. And, and, you, and, and that's what's good about this public service work. I mean, I think when you're a DA or a public defender, you kind of at the end of the day, you leave it and you think, well, I did something. You know, yeah. I did something today. Yeah, those are the best stories. That would that would have probably been something like my answer too. Is the ones where you, you, someone tracks you down and you don't know who they are. I've got that same story, and it's great. 
Uh, so I'm just fascinated by the prospect that the next governor could possibly have been a public defender. I don't know if that's ever happened anywhere in the country. Do you? I don't know. I don't know. So just, you know, this may be my last question. You, your experience as public defender, as mayor, why governor? What what makes you think that your your skill set sets you up for that? Well, I think, you know, I think what I bring to the race is, is I think I'm in the middle of the road. I think being mayor, I think being public defender and being law director are all sort of concrete experiences where you got to make things work. And so I think what people want in a, in a, in a governor is someone who's pragmatic, got some common sense and wants to get things done. You know, there's a famous phrase from a, a, a mayor in the, in the past who said, you know, there's no Democratic or Republican way of filling a pothole. People just want it filled. And I think people want the government, the state government and the governor to focus on issues that matter to the people, which are, you know, public education and uh, economic opportunity and, and health care. Um, you know, and I think those that experience I've had actually working in government, running a big city, uh, I think would would be very beneficial um, to me and hopefully to the state if, I bec- if I'm successful. Great. Well, we wish you the best of luck. I have, have one more, I think, maybe point to make, and that is that you are Carl Dean and you are mm. the public defender in Nashville. The current public defender in Nashville is Don Diener. Yes. Do you have thoughts on whether the next public defender should be Deanest? Well, I Dean, ha- Dean or Deanest, it just. I think it should. And I, you know, I, I, one of the things I'm proudest of as public defender is hiring Don Diener. And, and she's one of the, she is one, exactly one of the people I'm talking about who came to Nashville because she wanted to be a public defender and she was going to, she's willing to roll the dice and come down here and everything worked out. And she's been a very good public defender. And now Dawn's got to find somebody who's named Deanist. Right. And it's on her, but Nashville is so much better off for having Dawn Deaner. You're right. And we thank you for, for hiring her. Uh, Thanks, uh, Mayor Dean, uh, former Nashville public defender, former Nashville mayor, uh, and now candidate for uh, Tennessee governor. Uh, Carl Dean was in conversation and on the record, uh, my thanks to Mayor Dean for taking some time out. Uh, safe travels back to Nashville. Thanks to Courtney Colby and members of his staff for helping set this up. Uh, as always, thanks to Gil Worth of the OAM Network for, for providing first-class podcast support. You can find a, an archived copy of this Facebook Live video at theoamnetwork.com slash live. The OAM Network is the best podcast network in Memphis. Check them out for lots of other shows. Special thanks this week to Jonathan Epstein and Running Pony Productions for the use of their studio space. Special thanks as always to Jeff Hewlett for his song She Got Gone, original theme music for the permanent record. He plays with me and Leah all across town. They've got a new album out. Check them out on SoundCloud and Spotify. I'm Josh Spickler and this is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. Learn more about our work at justcity.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating. Leave us a review. It helps us build our audience. In a just city, we listen and we speak up. Our thanks to you for doing both. The preceding is an OM production. For more information, go to theoamnetwork.com. Let OM help you get the word out on your service, product, or endeavor. Email info at theoamnetwork.com and ask about our 2017 sponsorship packages. 